Father, we want to be attentive to your spirit working in us as we see your heart and the heart of Christ. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. We've been going through the book of Mark, and for a number of months, off and on, I've been considering another portion of Scripture, and that's in Luke chapter 15. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke 15, and many times we hear the account of the prodigal son. I have chosen to say two prodigal sons. And to stimulate our thinking, once upon a time there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took, took it to his king and said, my lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned a man's heart. So he turned, or as he turned to go, the king said, Wait, you're clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this. And he said, My, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you give the king something better? So the next day the nobleman came before the king. He was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you, and took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, Let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. In Luke 15, Jesus shares three parables which address the heart. Just as the gardener and the nobleman displayed two different hearts, we find two types of hearts on the listeners in Luke 15, and two types of hearts in the two prodigal sons. But we find a different heart in the Father. Let's take our Bibles and read together Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Luke 15, and I'll begin reading with verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me, what, or give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together or got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, said the father, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. As we think about this parable, I think it's important to keep in mind the purpose of the gospel of Luke. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, you don't need to turn there, you will find that, uh, I guess I got the wrong one, but anyway, the purpose of the gospel of Luke is to know for certain, that is Theopolis, to know for certain that what he had heard about Christ is true. And as you read through the Gospels and the Gospel of Luke, there are things said about Christ that are radical. Luke 15 is radical. So Luke is saying, I'm writing this Gospel so that you know that what you have heard is true. It hits hard. And the purpose of the parable that are being given in this portion of Scripture is to encourage and to confront. To encourage and to confront. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man come or welcome sinners and eats with them. The parable is to encourage sinners and tax collectors who desire to hear him. The parable is to confront the Pharisees and teachers of the law who muttered. They're finding fault with Jesus. 
The purpose of the parable is to shatter categories. The tax collectors and sinners knew that they were not right with God and were looked down upon by religious people, but Jesus pursues them. The Pharisees and teachers of the law assumed they were right with God due to their good deeds, and Jesus confronts them. Jesus is shattering categories. We also find that it is to reveal the heart of Jesus. He welcomes broken, prodigal sons. He confronts proud, selfish, prodigal sons. In Luke 15, we don't have one prodigal son. We have two prodigal sons. The theme of the parable, simply stated, is the heart of God and the heart of Christ is to go after those who stray and those who are lost. In Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, he healed the woman on the crippled woman on the Sabbath day. At the end of chapter 13, we find that Jesus has sorrow for Jerusalem. In chapter 15, In the first parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Or the woman who lost the coin, doesn't she seek the coin? And then the son who wandered off. Now, as we think about this parable, there's some background information that is important. The Pharisees and teachers of the law had rules in avoiding people. You avoided certain people. We do the same today. You know, we don't want to be seen with immoral people. We don't want to be seen with drug addicts or alcoholics or prostitutes. You know, we have our holy huddles. For example, who do you hang with at work, at school, or the community? When I was in school, we had the rejects and then the not-quite-rejects, and we had the dumber-dumbers and so on. And the smarties didn't hang with the dumber dumbers and the rejects weren't welcome with those who were considered a little better. The Pharisees had rules. You don't hang with the dumber dumbers, the rejects, and so on. We also need to understand that the early Christians in the time of Christ and following the time of Christ had a non-religion. It's hard for us to realize today, but when Christianity first began... In the time of Christ, it was not called a religion. It was a non-religion. Imagine the neighbors of the early church, early Christians, asking them about their faith. Where is your temple, they would ask. The Christians would reply that they didn't have a temple. But how could that be? Where are your priests? And where do they labor? The Christians would reply they didn't have any priest. But, but, the neighbors would have sputtered, Where are the sacrifices to please your gods? The Christians would have responded, we don't make any sacrifices. Jesus himself was a temple to end all temples, the priest to end all priests, and the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. No one had ever heard anything like this. So the Romans called them atheists because what Christians were saying about spiritual reality was unique. And it couldn't be classified with any other religions of the world. 
don't lose that, that Christianity is not a religion even today. We also need to understand how inheritance was given. Inheritance was given when a father died. The oldest son would get two-thirds, in this case because there's two sons, two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son would get one-third of the inheritance. Here we find that this younger son is asking for his inheritance while the father is still living. Now that created a problem for the father because the wealth of the father probably was in land, though as it was normally in that day. So in order for the son, the younger son, to get his inheritance, the father had to sell a great deal of his land holdings. And in our mobile culture today, we struggle with that. But nevertheless, he would have sold probably one-third of his land holdings. And we need to understand that land and owning land in that day gave you status in the community. So this man, the father, is going to lose some status in the community, selling perhaps one-third of his land holdings to give to his son. The original listeners were rattled by this. They didn't melt into tears because of the concern of the father giving an inheritance, a willingness to go through some difficulty himself. Rather, they didn't really accept it. And in the parable, Jesus connects himself with the younger brother. The sexual outcast in Luke 7, the religious person who is seeking, John 3, the racial outcast in John 4, the political outcast in Luke chapter 19. But he did not connect with the older brothers. Chief priests or elders in Matthew 21 or the Pharisees in Mark chapter 3. The father reinstating the son, the younger son, would have also influenced the inheritance of the older son. Now picture that here's the older son and the younger son. The father has given one-third of his inheritance or one-third of his wealth to his younger son. His younger son goes and squanders that. He comes back. The father reinstates him. And reinstating him, he now becomes an heir again of another one-third of his father's wealth. What does that do to the older son? It decreases his share of the inheritance. Now, who are the listeners to this parable? Verse 1 would say the tax collectors and singer, sinners, younger brothers, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the older brothers. The parable is directed primarily at the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the older brothers. Please note in verse 2 of chapter 15, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, no murmuring among themselves. You can hear them whispering, this man has welcomed sinners and eats with them. So Jesus responds. Verse 3, then Jesus told this parable. In verse 8, he continues, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins. And then in verse 11, Jesus continues. He's directing this primarily at the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the older brothers, if you please. Now, as we think about this parable, we have a younger son. Notice what he does. 
The younger son got together all that he had, all this inheritance that was given to him, set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. In your mind, think about wild living, terrible living, and that's the younger son. He took one-third of his father's wealth, goes to another country, and squanders it, wastes it in wild living. We don't know what that involved, if it was booze parties, if it was all kinds of drugs, if it was women after women, but it wasn't good. And the text clearly says he squandered his wealth. What did he have left? There was a severe family in the land, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. Now imagine this is the Jew. And we know how Jews felt about pigs. And he gets to take care of the pigs. And he's so hungry, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. I don't know if you know anything about pigs. I grew up on a farm that had pigs. They stink terrible. They're nasty critters. They're mean. They're stubborn. And there's a unique smell to pig manure that just surpasses that even of chicken, which I thought was terrible. And beef manure also. It's, it's terrible. And here he is, so hungry he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. What does he do? He comes to his senses. I took my dad's wealth. I squandered it. I have shamed my father. Apparently, came to repentance. Understood his sin. And he poses a question, how many fought, or how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am, you know, dying. Now, it's important to understand something here. He says, how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? His father would have had servants who lived on the father's land and were cared for by the father. The father also had hired men who were men who lived in their own house apart from the estate of the father. They would come to work for dad. They would be paid a wage for that day's work, and then they would go home to their own home. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. He knew he had disgraced his father. He had disgraced his community. He knew that if he was truly repentant, there needed to be an apology and restitution in light of the culture. So if he became a hired hand of his father, he could live separate. He could work for his father. He would not be a son of his father. He would not be a servant of his father. He would be a hired hand of his father. He could earn some money, and he could begin to make restitution. That's his plan. So he get up and went to his father. Now we see the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. 
Now, if the father saw him a long way off, I think the assumption is that the father must have been looking for him. That son of mine who went off to a far country will come back someday. He saw him afar off and was filled with compassion. I think the father knew why the son was coming home. He didn't have anything. His compassion on him. Compassion is walking in another's shoes for a period of time and understanding where they're at. You can almost picture the father thinking, oh, there comes my son. He's the one who wasted my money. He's the one who blew it. I understand what it is like to be away from a father. And then he runs. For an older gentleman to run in that day was unmanly. Women might run. Children might run. But men didn't. But he runs. He gets to him. He throws his arms around him and then gives him a kiss. The son has his speech already. Father, I've sinned against you, or sinned against heaven and against you. That's true. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, he was going to say something else. He's going to say, you know, I'll be your hired servant. He didn't even get to that point. But the father said to his servants, now they're servants here, not hired people, said to his servants, Bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring in his finger, sand on his feet. Bring the fatted calf in a day and age where there was not tons of meat available. Bring the fatted calf, kill it. We're going to have a feast. Who are you having a feast for? One who has wasted his living, his inheritance, squandered it on prostitutes and all kinds of riotous living. And the father says, we're going to have a feast because my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. You see the heart of The father? So they began to celebrate. That goes contrary to the culture. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law, as they heard that, hmm. But then enter the scene, the older brother Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. Hmm, music, dancing, something's going on. So he called one of the servants. He didn't go in. He just called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The old brother, older brother became angry. Oh, why is dad doing that? He's angry. And refused to go in. So the father pursues the older son as he pursued the younger son. He saw his younger son far off and he ran to meet him. 
The older son won't come in. What does he do? He goes out to talk to the older son. So the father went out and pleaded with him. Son, come on in. Your brother, he was lost. He's found. He's dead. He's alive. He's here with us. Come and celebrate. But he, the older son, answered his father. Look, it's interesting that he does not even address his father as father. The younger son, when he came home broken, Father, I have sinned. The older son says, look, he's mad, he's angry. All these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Dad, I have some rights here. Let's have some justice. Your brother wasted the living, your inheritance. I've obeyed you. I've listened to you. And what do I get? You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, son of yours, doesn't even identify him as his brother, who has squandered your property... With prostitutes come home, comes home, you kill the fatted calf. It's one thing to lose a son to terrible living. It's another thing to lose a son to anger and self-righteousness. The younger son was recklessly, recklessly extravagant. He spent everything. He sinned. Now let's understand sin in this parable. Sin in this parable is not failing to keep God's rules of conduct, of giving of temple worship attendance. But sin is missing relating to the father as a son. Enjoying the Father, valuing the Father, delighting in the Father. Sin is missing a relationship with the Father. And the Father enjoying and delighting in His Son. In her novel, Wise Blood, Flannery O'Connor says, says of her character, Hazel Motes, that there was a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. It's a profound insight. You can avoid Jesus by keeping all the moral laws. If you do that, then you have rights. God owes you answered prayer. God owes you a good life, a ticket to heaven when you die. You don't need a Savior who pardons by free grace, for you are your own Savior. This is the attitude of the elder brother. Dad, I've obeyed you. I've done work. I've never done wrong. See, his motivation comes out because the older brother never delighted in his father. He delighted in himself. See, Jesus gives a radical redefinition definition of what is wrong with us. 
Nearly everyone defines sin as breaking a list of rules. Jesus shows us, though, here is a man, the older brother, who virtually didn't violate any moral rules, but yet spiritually as lost as his evil younger brother. The older brother would have objected if someone told him he was as lost as his younger brother. But see what happened. The older brother obeying, he thought made his father obligated to him. He didn't see grace. He was acting as his own savior. He was putting God into his debt. He was getting upset because dad expressed compassion and love to his younger brother. Now, how does the parable end? The parable ends with the father pursuing the older son just as he pursued the younger son. That's the heart of the father. But it also ends with the older son alienated from his father and the younger son enjoying his father and the feast. The older brother did not experience his father's love. Why? It was not in spite of his goodness, but because of it. It is not his sins that create the barrier between him and his father. It's the pride he has in his moral past. It's not the wrongdoing, but his righteousness that is keeping him from sharing in the feast of the father. He says, because I have never disobeyed you. He trusted in himself. He wanted his father's good or blessing not his father. He longed for what his father could give, not for the father. It's one of the reasons people get disappointed with God when they pray and God doesn't answer, when God doesn't give them something because they want what God gives, they don't want God. Who cares what God gives? He is our joy. He is our delight. Who cares what Christ gives? He is our joy. He is our delight. And if we're not careful, we're an older brother using God to get what we want rather than enjoying God and enjoying Christ. This is a complete reversal of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. What they would have taught and what many times we believe in practice today. In essence, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were like the older brother, alienated from God in the feast. The tax collectors and the sinners were like the younger brother, enjoying their father in the feast. Years ago, I was told by a number of people after I had my skull tumor removed and they made a diagnosis of my physical condition, that I should ask God to heal me. God has never chosen to heal me. And I never really got around to asking very much about God healing me. Because very early on, after my tumor was removed, God really challenged my heart. Dan, Am I sufficient for you? 
is Christ sufficient? Do you want to know me or do you want me to fix you? Do you want to know Christ or do you want me to fix you? And I said, Lord, I'll take you. I'll forgo the fixing. I'll take Christ. I'll forgo the fixing. That has molded my life very, very deeply. Am I angry that God has never fixed me? No. But I delight in Christ and God more than I would have ever had if he fixed me. The older son is left alienated from dad outside the feast and the younger son who had wasted the living is enjoying the feast and enjoying the father. What is the difference? The younger son was not trusting in himself. The older son was trusting in himself. The point of the parable, God, Christ, pursues both the younger and older brothers in order that they may enjoy him and be in relationship with him. Even when he is used by the older brother and the younger brother, he pursues them. The younger brother went off and wasted the living, and what does the father do? He pursues him. He apparently is looking for him. He sees him, and he runs to meet him. He's pursuing him. The older brother will not come into the feast. He's angry. He's bitter. And what does the father do? He goes out and he pursues him. See the heart of God. See the heart of Christ. They pursue those younger brothers that you know in your life that wasting their living, throwing away their lives. He pursues them. But he pursues those of us who are religious, who are trusting in ourselves and think God owes us something. He pursues us for a relationship with him. See the heart of God. See the heart of Christ. Christ is identifying himself with the Father, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the older brother, the tax collectors and sinners, the younger brother, and God pursues them. How do you see Christ? How do you see God? Are you enjoying Christ? Are you enjoying God? Are you pursuing them for who they are? not because of what they might do or give. Are you like the younger brother, broken and enjoying Jesus? Are you like the older brother, proud of self, but not enjoying God and Jesus, thinking they owe you something? Have you come to Christ? Are you simply trusting what Christ has done, enjoying God and enjoying Jesus for who they are. Let's take our hymnals.